Welcome to the Pint Glass Football Podcast. This is Pint Glass Football, drink beer, talk NFL and college football. I'm your host, Brad Fowler, and McKenzie Brewing is the official beer of Pint Glass Football. Follow them at McKenzie Brewing. Follow us at pintglassfootball.com. If you're new to the show, hit that subscribe button. What's up, PGF Nation? We are back with another packed show. Hopefully we can fit it into one episode this time, but there is drama in Buffalo. Lamar Jackson is excited about his new offense. We'll draft our top eight NFL tight ends, play another game of overrated or underrated. We'll finish our draft grades, the final division with the AFC South and a lot more to cover today. But joining me to break it all down, my co-host, Alex Higdon. Alex, what is going on? Hey, Brad. Once again, another week we're back at it. I mean, we're on our final draft breakdown, so we're going to be able to have some fun once we start moving further into the summer. So I can't wait to get into it. Yeah, man, there's so much going on. It's crazy. It feels like there is no offseason in the NFL and college football anymore. There's there's such an abundance of stories and news and things to talk about. I swear, it feels like we've got 20 topics I want to do every single show. And myself and you, we have to kind of go through them and decide, okay, what's most important? What do we need to get on this show? You know, what can wait? It, it's always tough because there's just so much going on. It's hard to believe here we are in late June and there's that much going on, but it really does feel like it. And we've got some news here because like I opened with, there's drama in Buffalo, Alex. This is a story, Alex, that we had. We talked about this last week, and this Stephon Diggs situation is getting really interesting, Alex. Now, we spoke about Sean McDermott's comments last week when he said he was, quote, very concerned. Now, new reports are out that according to Ben Volan of the Boston Globe, quote, Diggs' frustration is with his role in the offense and his voice in play calling End quote. This is from one of his sources, apparently, inside the Bills locker room. Ben Volan's a guy that I respect, a big-time journalist, so I think there's a lot of validity to what he's saying here. Now, you mentioned last week Diggs got a new contract last year, so it's not likely that his concerns are about money. This clearly seems to be about the offense, his role. Apparently, he wants a voice in play calling. This is starting to get kind of weird here. Now, during an interview with Dan Patrick last year, Diggs said that the frustrations we saw during that playoff loss was really frustrated. He was expressing it to Josh Allen and the coaches. He said on Dan Patrick that after that loss, that that had been building for weeks. Alex, it seems like it's spilling over again this offseason. Yeah, I'm, I'm a bit confused. You know, when we get to the, let's say, the call the term diva wide receiver, it's usually two things. Either they're not getting the ball enough or there's something wrong with the contract. Neither is here because as Stefan Diggs is in the top 3% of targets for a a wide receiver, he's been catching, uh, has over 100 catches every single year there and double-digit touchdowns. So it doesn't, I'm just, I would like to understand more and I guess perhaps maybe he's talking about critical situations. I mean, we all famously remember 13 seconds where he didn't even touch the ball. The Gabe Davis game, like he was basically absent. 
So I'm wondering if he's talking about in critical situations where he feels his number should be called and it's not being called, or perhaps the play is there and the ball's not being thrown. Um, it's going to be developing. We're going to have to hear more from him on explaining what exactly he's talking about, or maybe hear from someone that he's speaking to in the media so we can get full understanding because I'm, I'm a little bit confused here. It's these specific pointed plays that he's talking about is the only thing I can come up with. Yeah, it's fascinating because this story somehow has legs all of a sudden. And I'm with you. It's head scratching. I don't really understand it because you're right. He's getting paid. He's the number one option in this offense. He's getting the ball thrown to him at a, at a high rate. This team, yeah, they've came up short in the playoffs, but they've had a decent amount of success. It's not like they're getting crushed every week. I'm really, really confused by this whole thing. Alex, I'm starting to not like the vibes that I'm getting around this Buffalo Bills team. Now, you've already talked about it. We won't jump into it too much right now, but you've already said on record on this podcast, you don't think they're making the playoffs. You think this is going to be a step back year for them. This type of story certainly doesn't help because we know if this team wants to be a contender, not only in the AFC East, but in the AFC, Diggs has to be a key part of it. And if he's not happy and he's not engaged with this offense and in this team, it really could develop into an issue. Lamar Jackson and the Ravens have a new look offense this season with new offensive coordinator Todd Munkin, who was hired after being the offensive coordinator at Georgia. ESPN's Jeremy Fowler said, quote, he loves it. I checked with a few people in Baltimore. I get exclamation points back in the text messages that he's sort of thriving in this new system, end quote. Now, this new system is expected to elevate the passing game, especially with new weapons like Odell Beckham Jr. and rookie Zay Flowers. Alex, I expect more throws from the pocket in this offense. I expect less RPO, less quarterback-designed runs, more throws outside the numbers, and more shots down the field. The question now is, will Lamar Jackson thrive in this system? Right. He's saying all the right things at the moment, but it, everything changes when, when the real bullets start to fly. I mean, we talked about it maybe two weeks ago when we said we're finally going to move off the narrative that Lamar does not have wide receivers. He has Odell Beckham Jr. Hopefully he remains healthy. He drafted our number one ranked wide receiver in Zay Flowers. And there's also Devin DuVernay as well as uh, Rashad Bateman. Hopefully Rashad is healthy as well. And then you also have top three tight end there and Mark Andrews. So that is a formidable receiving room when you include the tight ends as well. So now is the time for him to put up or shut up because no longer is it G Greg Roman, which I do believe that Lamar did max out in that specific system. So I do believe a lot of it, there was a lot of on Lamar, but I do believe that he maxed out that system and Greg Roman did not extend out that playbook anymore but now you bring in Todd Munkin so maybe we're getting something that's fresh that's new that Lamar really likes I've heard that Tom Munkin's gone back to some of the things that he did at Louisville that made him made him very prolific putting a lot of those plays in now we're going to see him hopefully healthy with a full array of weapons and a new offensive coordinator in Todd Munkin perhaps take Lamar Jackson to the next level the reports I'm reading is that we're going to see less than 10 designed quarterback runs per game in this new offense. It's going to be a way different look. Like I said, we're not going to see as many of the RPOs, the designed quarterback runs. We're not going to see him rolling out of the pocket as much as we have. This is going to be a more traditional 
NFL style offense. It's going to put more on his plate as a passer. And not that he's not a capable passer, but we know watching him these last several years in Baltimore, his threat as a runner has opened up a lot of passing lanes for him in that old offense. Now we're going to see if he can really sit in the pocket in a more traditional style offense and deliver at a high level. Really, really interesting team this offseason. Patriots cornerback Jack Jones was arrested at the airport on weapons charges. Two firearms were found in his travel luggage at Boston's Logan Airport. He was charged with possession of a concealed weapon in a secure area of an airport. Possession of ammunition without a firearm identification card, unlawful possession of a firearm, carrying a loaded firearm, and possession of a large capacity feeding device. Now, Jones is a 2022 fourth round draft pick out of Arizona State. He already had a team suspension for an unspecified violation of club rules that ended his rookie season early. Jones played in 13 games last year with two starts. He had 30 tackles two picks, a forced fumble, and one fumble recovery. Alex, those are pretty impressive stats for only two starts in the NFL. This is a guy that I was really high on coming out of Arizona State last year. I thought that he could be a potential steal in the fourth round. I thought he was a really good player that was really kind of being undervalued. But these types of decisions are really going to derail what could be a promising NFL career. Yeah, we have to look at the player in totality. He went to famed Long Beach Poly. If you don't know, you can simply look them up. We know the lineage of football players that come from there. He went to USC. I don't know what happened at USC. I believe there was an issue there because then he went to Moorpark Community College and then back up to Arizona State. Put in the work to get to where he is. Now that you've made it, already had the issue with USC. Why not? Hopefully you were supposed to right those wrongs when you went to Moorpark Community College and then you got a second chance. We always talk about second chances. America loves a comeback story. You were the comeback story. And unfortunately, now you find yourself in a situation. And one thing we know about Bill Belichick, he does not like these type of distractions. I don't know how long he's going to remain on this team. I'm assuming that the Patriots and Bill Belichick are letting this play out. But we know Bill has the quickest trigger, or rather release trigger in the league when it comes to players and off-field issues. He will cut you. He does not care how great you are. This is a guy that cut it, that cut Randy Moss. So let's be very clear. He does not care about your pedigree. He will let you go for the betterment of this team, not to derail what his plan is. So I'm interested to see how this plays out when we get to August and training camp opens. Yeah, you hit it on the head exactly, Alex. And I just look at a decision like this, and I know he's not the first guy to get caught up in things like this. I've just never understood how you can make such a bad decision. Guns in an airport. I mean, what are you, you know thinking what? Can, here? You know what? Can I say one more thing? I want to say, I don't. It's not necessarily giving him a pass. I cannot think that this player or anybody that we've seen these issues happen with. I cannot think that this player knew that he had this type of weaponry in his bag and went to the airport. That's the one thing that I do want to say. Because a lot of times from what I hear from a lot of players that I speak to, whether it be basketball or football, they have a go bag and they're just grabbing the bag. And sometimes when their go bag is going to certain places where it's legal for them to have firearms, they have the firearm in there 
this seems like a, this is a very odd situation. I can't believe a person like this would be this foolish to go into a federal building, which is an airport when you, you're under federal law there, where you would carry this type of, and you laid it out. It wasn't just like a handgun. There were several different things in there. So there are several different charges that go along with just simply having a weapon. So I, I do want to say, I don't believe he was this foolish to walk into the airport and get on a flight with that. Knowingly, knowing that was in his bag. I have to believe that this was simply a mistake of him either grabbing the wrong bag or simply forgetting what he had in that bag. You know, Alex, it's a good point because like I was starting to say there, it's such a stupid decision. It kind of makes you wonder, how does somebody make it like that poor of a decision knowing you're going to an airport and then having guns on you? It, it just seems like such a no brainer. But I think you could be right here. This and I hope you are right. I, I really do. I hope for his sake and that this was just an honest mistake. I really hope that's the case that, like you said, he just grabbed the wrong bag, didn't realize what was in the bag. Now, granted, you got to be more careful than that. But at the same time, I really hope it was an honest mistake. And I hope that this guy gets a chance to continue to play in the league uh, because I think you're right. There's a good chance that he's not going to be on the Patriots very long, especially being his second offense, so to speak. Now, this is a legal offense that he's dealing with here. And to be fair to Jack Jones here, he did plead not guilty. So I, I'd want to make that clear. But it also, with last year's incident, with the team incident, it's starting to make even more sense why the Patriots went in the direction they did taking Christian Gonzalez, the cornerback out of Oregon in the first round. So this is a story, obviously, once again, we'll have to follow up on and, and see where this goes, but really head-scratching. Four-star quarterback recruit Austin Simmons has flipped from Florida to Ole Miss. Alex, this was a story that you brought to my attention, and guys flip their commitment from one school to another all the time. So you're probably asking yourself, why is this a big story? Well, he's a big-time recruit. Yes, that's true. He's a four-star recruit. He's, he's a highly touted prospect, and he's ranked by rivals as the number three passer in the class of 2025, but he is reclassifying into the class of 2023. So he'll be he's going to be skipping his last two years of high school to enter college this year. So he'll be just 17 years old playing for head coach Lane Kiffin at Ole Miss. This is the second quarterback that we've lost within a calendar year. We lost Jaden Rashada leaving Florida, and now we're also losing Austin Simmons. So uh, the cupboard is bare, right? A little bare for Florida Gators right now, but his reclassification is very interesting going to Lane Kiffin who I think is a rising star in college and could possibly find himself back in the NFL again to go to Lane Kiffin who is going to make him a star in the league because he's a very good offensive coach I want to watch it and again to your point at 17 as we remember Sam Darnold for the Jets was only 20 when he came into the league and we could be looking at the same situation again if Austin Simmons gets the ability, gets the chance to hit the field early, he could be another very young quarterback entering the league under the age of 21. I'm sure there were some NIL situations behind the scenes that influenced that deal as well. Um, excuse me, influenced his decision as well. So it'll be interesting to watch to see how he pans out. 
going to college early. I'm wondering if there was some sort of handshake deal here where Lane Kiffin said, look, you're going to be the starter. And maybe that was part of the influence. Like you said, maybe there's some NIL attached to this. It wouldn't surprise me. That's obviously commonplace when you're, especially when you're talking about big time recruits. But if we see a 17 year old starting quarterback in the SEC next year, wow, that's that's really going to be something, and he's definitely going to be one to watch. Now, guys, speaking of big-time college football recruits, next week we'll have guest Cooper Patagna, who's a national recruiting analyst for 24-7 Sports on the show to talk some college football recruiting. Going to be a lot of fun. Looking forward to that. So, yeah, next week, guys, we're going to jump into a little more recruiting, but this is definitely a cool story. Alex, there's some positive statements coming out of the Saints camp and head coach Dennis Allen raving about Derek Carr. He said, quote, a guy that works the way Derek does, a guy that has the type of leadership qualities that Derek has, that's going to filter throughout the whole football team, players and coaches. I think that gives you a lot of confidence going into the season, end quote. Now, this is a team that missed the playoffs the last two seasons since Drew Brees retired. The quarterback play hasn't been great, yes, but I think it has less to do with Brees. I should say it has less to do with Drew Brees retiring and has more to do with Sean Payton leaving. This team needed to rip the Band-Aid off and hire a coach outside of the building and rebuild this franchise. But instead, they're acting like they're still a contender a team that came up short in the playoffs a few years back. If you guys remember the Miracle in Minnesota game, non-pass interference call against the Rams, a team that was right on the cusp of getting back to the Super Bowl, came up short. I think that Super Bowl window has been closed for a while now. And with Breeze in retirement, with Sean Payton coaching another team, I just think this team is still acting like they're that contender, and I don't see it. At this point, we know who Dennis Allen is. As a head coach, we know who Derek Carr is as a quarterback. I, I think this is just a bunch of positive coach speak, and I'm just not buying it. I think the players are ahead of the coaching, if that makes sense. Defense, you have a veteran defense there, and we know the defense is going to be fine because Dennis Allen's been running the defense for a few years. You have your veterans in Tyrone Matthew in the back end, and you also have Cam Jordan up front. So you know that the leaders are there for that. Offensively, Michael Thomas, we don't know if he's buying in, if he's buying out, but he's not because he would not be considered a leader on that team. We know Alvin Kamara. We know the talent level. We're still waiting to see if he's going to be suspended or not. And then the only thing and we have Chris Olave, who's young on that, and they didn't bring back Jarvis Landry, who was more of a leader for that wide receiver room, but he's no longer there. So Derek Carr is now the de facto leader for that team, who is a capable quarterback. But I think to your point, I think the players – are far ahead of the coaching. I don't know if the coaching can match the talent that's actually, that's actually on the team, which means I don't know if they, they can put everything together with the current coaching staff that they have. I don't know if they're strong enough to pull it all together because obviously the way that they're set up in that division with the veteran quarterback, with the veteran quarterback, with that defense, I'm sure that Vegas has them winning the South, and when I can't wait till we do our picks so we can really see where everything is. But I know that Vegas has to have them at least at the top. If not at the top, they're either tied for the top in terms of who's going to win that division. You're right. We've seen enough of Dennis Allen. I think we know what type of coach he is. Pete Carmichael there as the OC. He's obviously not Sean Payton, 
but we need to see what they can do when the bullets start flying again before we just write everything off. Because 1,000%, two things are for sure. We know that the talent level is there. And if this fails, injury aside, they're going to have to be, they're going to have to reassess what they have at the coaching position, actually at all coaching positions, if this year does not go the way that they believe it should go. Yeah, and I like the rookie Chris Olave, or I should say going into his second year now, Chris Olave, solid young player. Michael Thomas and Alvin Kamara, though, are guys that I think are clearly past their prime. And it kind of leaves me wondering, like, who's left on this offense? Who's a real threat outside of Olave now at this point for Derek Carr to throw to? I think the offense is a big, a, a much bigger question mark than the defense. Like you said, I think the defense should be good. I think they'll be solid. I think this division being as weak as it is, is the only reason that they have a legitimate shot to make the playoffs. But I really don't have any really strong feeling about them being a good team this year, being a team that could really make any noise outside of maybe winning that division. And even with that being said, it would not shock me if they didn't win this division. I saw this story, Alex, from Brenna White of NFL.com about Taysom Hill and his role for 2023. Apparently, he'll be playing more wide receiver this season now that Derek Carr is there. And it's something that I just spoke to here is like, where are their weapons on the outside? And this is starting to make even more sense now, moving Taysom Hill more towards a wide receiver role, because I just think there's a lack of options in this offense for them to throw to. Now, he started nine games at quarterback last season. He's played quarterback, wide receiver, tight end, running back, kick returner. He even blocked punts as a special team standout. Alex, everything I just said about the Saints here and the gloom of doom, putting that all aside here, Taysom Hill, I mean, you could easily make the case he's the best football player in the NFL because of all the things that he brings to his team. There's nobody like him in the league. Right. And I, and I agree, but I just don't know what he does well when we start talking about this specific team, how Sean Payton happened to be using him, obviously because there was the Drew Brees arm issue. So he was used in special situations, short yardage situations, goal line situations. He was a specialized player. Now making him a full-time wide receiver it's possible that it may work, but I don't know if moving him to one position is really the best thing for him, being that he you can use him in so many different formations to do so many different things. I think he was better fit the way that Sean Payton was using him in, for lack of a better term, gadget situations and short yardage and goal line situations because he posed such a problem because you did have to respect the quick twitch throw that he would throw to a running back running an angle or a quick slant to a wide receiver and he would be able to get those plays and move the chains or get a quick touchdown that way or then use his legs. I'm not sure we're going to see him on the field that much if he's going to be primarily a wide receiver in this fashion. So again, I think the players are ahead of the coaches here. So we get, again, we're just going to have to see this play out. But in this specific situation, I believe they're making a mistake. Yeah, and it'll be interesting to see just how many snaps he actually gets at wide receiver. If this is going to be a thing where maybe they're moving him to 50% of the snaps at wide receiver, but he's still going to line up in some wildcat quarterback formations. He's going to line up at tight end still. Is he going to play some running back? Like It, it wouldn't surprise me if we still see him in a lot of different formations and being utilized in a lot of different ways, but it's something that we're kind of coming back to again here with the Saints. 
since Sean Payton's been gone, the lack of creativity in this offense went with him. All right, we're bringing it back this week. Let's play overrated or underrated. Alex, got three more for you this week. Let's start with Ravens wide receiver Odell Beckham Jr. Underrated or overrated? I think at this point he's overrated. And unfortunately, not due to ability. It's just simply due to availability in this situation. I think we need to temper expectation here because if we're looking at if there's a, what are we saying, about maybe 40 offensive, 30, maybe 30 offensive snaps in the game, I don't know if he's going to get all those offensive snaps in a sense. I think we're looking at somebody that's going to, there's going to be a slow build to getting him on the field. So the Zay, the Zay Flowers, the Devin DuVernay's, and the Rashard Batemans and Mark Andrews are going to still have to hold a lot of weight here while they build him up. The last thing you want to do is sign this guy. You gave him a certain amount of money. And then if everybody gets through the season healthy, you then don't want to see him hurt at the end of the season when you're gearing up for a playoff run. So I think we're going to see a slow build here. So I think there's a little bit of overrating here with Odell because he's not the player that he used to be simply due to availability. Yeah, I'm totally with you on this, Alex. I think he's overrated at this point in his career too. Now look, his first three seasons, he eclipsed 1,300 receiving yards three times. So those first three years, he was a top five guy, an electric player, a big time wide receiver in this league. And that's really what made the name for himself but his last 1,000-yard season came all the way back in 2019. We just have not seen that version of Odell in a long time, but yet here he is getting paid like an elite receiver. Now, I know it's a one-year deal, but that deal felt very un-Baltimore-like for them to do that. And at the time, they were trying to negotiate with, with Lamar Jackson. There was a lot of tension there. Nobody really knew for sure what was going on. It felt like a little bit of a desperation move at the time. I think they overpaid for a guy who's clearly his best football is behind him. Now, with that being said, I hope that he's healthy this year. I hope he makes an impact because when he's healthy and he's right, he's a really fun player to watch. The obvious answer here, I think, is is overrated. I'm with you, Alex. I, I don't think there's any reason that he should be making that kind of money and getting this kind of notoriety at this point in his career when he really has not done much for several seasons now. All right, I got another one here, Alex. Cowboys running back, Tony Pollard. Overrated or underrated? I'm going to struggle with this one for a moment because I, I do have a narrative about Tony Pollard. I simply don't believe he's a 20-a-game carry back. I believe they do need to bring in another bell cow. Last week we were talking about Dalvin Cook, and I said they should bring in Dalvin Cook because I believe Tony Pollard is at his best at a as a change of pace back and not the primary back or simply if he's the primary back he should be limited more to 15 carries and then you bring in somebody else for about maybe seven eight carries that can be a hammer and right now the Cowboys don't have that so from my perspective even though he's at six feet I believe about 210 215 he's just more of a speed back he's not an up the gut runner and they're missing that so I think there's a little bit of overrating going on here with the expectation of what they saw last year and how downtrodden Zeke may have been. But I don't think people realize those Zeke always fell forward no matter what. So if you caught him in the backfield, he was still moving forward. 
whenever you tried to tackle him, he picked up that extra half a yard or he picked up that extra yard. So he was always moving forward. And I don't think Tony, Tony Pollard is that type of back. So for me, this is, I'm going to call this slightly overrated, but he's closer to average in terms of between overrated or underrated. He's more in the, excuse me, more in the middle, but for this exercise, I'm going to call him overrated. Yeah, Alex, I'm going to disagree with you on this one because I really like what I've seen from Tony Pollard. And with that being said, I do agree with your point about bringing in another back, maybe a more physical between the tackles type of back. I think that would help this running back room as a whole. But I'm okay giving him the lion's share of touches here because his first three seasons in the NFL, he was that rotational back. But last season, he broke out had over 1,300 yards, averaged 5.9 yards per touch, and had 12 touchdowns. Once he finally got the opportunity, he really showed what kind of player he is. And I don't know if he got enough credit for what he did last year. So I'm on the other side here. I think he's underrated. Last one here, Alex. Dolphins pass rusher Bradley Chubb. Overrated or underrated? I'm going to call underrated here, and it's simply this is tied to one thing and one thing only, Vic Fangio. I think with what – and also his injury. So I think he was a year coming off of the ACL, if I'm not – I believe it was the ACL of the Achilles. Uh, I apologize if I don't have that correct. But then having that down the, – the down year that he had trying to come back from that. But I believe, again, Vic Fangio is going to put this player – and bring him back to what we saw as a rookie and to what Bill Belichick was raving over when he ran the strength, when he ran the, um, I believe he ran the strength and conditioning aspect of the combine where he was just simply raving over Bradley, over Bradley Chubb at that point. So, but I think that with Vic Fangio there, I think he's going to be coming back stronger than ever. I think we're going to see him get back to what we saw as a rookie in the beginning of his second year before he got hurt. I think we're going to see that player get back to where he belongs after the downtrodden year that he had coming off of injury and now going to Vic Fangio and that defense and that defensive setup. So I think this is, I'm going to call this one underrated. I'm surprised here, Alex. I'm on the other side here as well with Bradley Chubb. I'm going to say overrated. And to your point with Vic Fangio, I'm really intrigued with him being the defensive coordinator there in Miami, because I do think this defense as a whole is going to take a big step forward. I think he's one of the best defensive minds in the game. And he is a guy that certainly could unlock Bradley Chubb's potential. And we could see another big year from him, but as it stands right now, I've got to stamp the overrated card because this is a guy who makes $22 million a year. Now his rookie year, he had 60 tackles and 12 sacks but he hasn't hit either of those numbers in the four seasons since then. He had a decent year last year with eight sacks and almost 40 tackles, but quite frankly, those just are not $22 million a year numbers. Hey, PGF Nation, are you tired of the same old bland food at your tailgate parties? Well, let me tell you about my friends at the Tailgate Foodie the seasoning and barbecue sauce company that specializes in elevating your tailgate and backyard cooking game. With their unique blend of spices and sauces, the Tailgate Foodie will take your taste buds on a flavor journey that you won't forget. Use code PINTGLASSFOODIE for 15% off your first order at thetailgatefoodie.com.
Zencaster is the ultimate web-based podcasting solution. It provides high-quality audio and video podcast production and hosting. With a full suite of professional tools, podcasters can seamlessly record, produce, and publish studio-quality content all from one dashboard. Zencaster's post-production process takes the headache out of audio production. Set the right podcast loudness and levels while reducing background noise with a click of a button. Coordinating all your guests to record in person is painful and tedious. Easily invite up to 11 participants per recording with one click. Go to Zencaster.com slash pricing and use my code PGFP, and you'll get 30% off your first three months of Zencaster Professional. I want you to have the same easy experiences I do for all my podcasting and content needs. It's time to share your story. Hey there, PGF Nation. You know what's important when you're having a good time? Staying hydrated. And that's where Liquid IV comes in, the category-winning hydration brand that's fueling your well-being. With just one stick of Liquid IV, you get two times faster hydration than water alone, plus five essential vitamins to keep you feeling your best. And let's not forget about the convenience factor. The packaging is perfect for on the go, whether you're tailgating or just hanging out on the couch. But what really sets Liquid IV apart is the amazing flavors. Personally, I'm all about the Concord Grape and Lemon Lime. And with three times the electrolytes of traditional sports drinks, Liquid IV is made with premium ingredients to give you the hydration and nourishment you need. Get 20% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use code PGFP at checkout. That's 20% off anything you order when you shop Better Hydration today using promo code PGFP at liquidiv.com. So next time you're cracking open a cold one and settling in for the big game, make sure you've got Liquid IV by your side. Trust me, your body will thank you. All right, the last couple of weeks, we've been drafting the top eight players at different positions. We're going to jump back to the offensive side of the ball this week, and we're going to draft our top eight tight ends in the NFL. Alex, why don't you kick this off? Well, I mean, I think no doubt about it. I think we're all agreed the consensus in America has to say that Travis Kelsey is the number one tight end, uh, without a doubt. I mean, Ever since this guy's gotten, well, I don't want to say ever since, but maybe about year two or three when he started to have the breakout year that he did with Alex Smith and then continued on to his elite years, more, excuse me, more elite years with Patrick Mahomes. This guy has shown that he's not going to slow down. I, I know, Brad, if I believe you've been in some of the spaces where we've talked about if he can catch Tony Gonzalez, if he can catch Jason Witten in terms of their numbers to be the number one overall in terms of statistically and then what we've seen on the field. But as it stands right now, there is no stopping this guy. I mean, he doesn't show any sign of injury. He doesn't show any sign of slowing down. And Andy Reid is just simply getting more creative with ways to get him the ball. So I have Travis Kelsey. He's not the, I'll say this, he's not the greatest in-line blocker that you would want, but you he's a willing blocker in that sense. But Travis Kelsey, number one with a bullet. 
Yeah, that's a pretty easy answer for sure. This guy's putting up just monster numbers year in and year out. He's been the go-to option for this Chiefs offense that's been one of the best in the league for several years now. The guy's a monster, and it doesn't look like he's slowing down one bit. He's still playing at a really high level. To your point, he's really just a receiving tight end. He makes decent effort as a blocker, but I would actually say he's a below-average blocker. It leaves the door open for a guy who's probably my favorite tight end in the league, and that's got to be George Kittle of the San Francisco 49ers here at number two. If this guy was fed the ball as much as a guy like Kelsey or some of these other top tight ends, I think it's easy to say that his numbers would rival Kelsey's or anybody else's in this league. He just doesn't play in that style of offense. But, man, when this guy gets the ball, he is an absolute monster. He's a wrecking ball. The guy can make guys miss with his speed. He can run guys over with his physicality. And unlike Kelsey, he's a phenomenal blocker. And that's why he doesn't get as many opportunities. He plays in that run-first offense in San Francisco, and he's relied upon to really be a big element in that run game and blocking for the run game. So he doesn't get as many opportunities as some of these other guys, but man, he makes the most of them, the most complete tight end in the league, George Kittle. You know, I mean, really, if you just gave the description of that player, I really think people would struggle to know exactly who you were talking about because it applies to Mark Andrews as well. In a run-first offense, superb blocker. You can't split him out. I've seen Kittle split out maybe a few, probably a little bit more than I've seen Mark Andrews split out, but he's more of the quintessential in-line blocker, in-line tight end that stays within the hash marks up the middle and so on and so forth, whereas Kittle can seem to stretch the field a little bit with a, with a couple of stream sh- uh, shots up the, st- up the scene. But I have the same sentiment. I'll use the same exact wording that you used to describe George Kittle, except I just think he's not the deep threat that George Kittle is. And George Kittle's a little, I would say, a, a lot more physical, but I believe that Mark Andrews is still a strong blocker at the point of attack, specifically to the point you made about uh, the 49ers being in the Ravens with that run first offense. So I think they're they're very close in terms of I don't think it's I don't think it's far away, but I think they're very close in their ability. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're absolutely right. They're guys that are very similar players in that regard. Andrews gets a little more targets in the in the offense that he runs. He's he's more of the number one option there where Kittle certainly doesn't get as many opportunities, but both guys tremendous players. And when you look at that tight end group, we all kind of knew and you guys listening, you guys knew who the top three were. Regardless of the order, we knew Kelsey was one and it was going to come down to those two guys. That's really the class of the tight ends. Now is where it's going to get interesting because this second tier is kind of where it gets a little more debatable here. And I'm going to mix it up here because I don't think you're going to see this name coming here. I'm going to take TJ Hawkinson with the Minnesota Vikings here. Now, this is a guy who got traded from the Lions, a former first-round pick. And quite frankly, I just thought it was a mistake. I I was shocked they got rid of this guy, a young tight end coming into his own. He was a great player in Minnesota. I mean, he hit the ground running in that Minnesota offense. Only Travis Kelsey had more receptions last year at the tight end position than TJ Hawkinson. This guy had a monster second half once he went over to Minnesota, and I expect the same thing this year. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I don't think I'm really surprised at that because I think what we saw in Detroit 
versus what we saw when he got to Minnesota were two different things. When it was like, oh, this is what you look like when you have somebody like Justin Jefferson on the field and you can take advantage, truly take advantage of those one-on-one matchups, things that we saw with him and Noah Fant at Iowa. He was able to do what we saw in college and what we had projected when he got to the league. So I'm not mad at that, but I'm going to go with Dallas Goddard. I love Dallas Goddard. I think, you know, not only just, and I'm a big fantasy football player. He's a great late round tight end that's always available. But in turn, we want to talk about run first offenses. That is literally the definition of what the Eagles are. And in that, he's a strong blocker at, at the point of attack. He maintains his possessions. He's always around at least about maybe 600 to 700 yards is about maybe 50 to 60 catches. And I believe perhaps if their run game stalls, he can probably, there's, you'll see an uptick in his TD production on the goal line, but that running game is so strong and what they do is so strong that they're getting in the end zone with their running game and they don't necessarily use him at the goal line. But as a mover of the sticks, quote unquote, in that offense, I like what he does. And I think he's an, he's an all around solid tight end that does with the quintessential tight end is similar to what I was saying about Mark Andrews. That's in between the hashes because we know what they have on the outside and we know what they do with the running game, but he's open. He shields off his, he shields off the defender and can always make the catch. And is a great safety valve for Jalen hurts. Yeah. He's really become a really good player ever since the Eagles got rid of Zach Ertz. He's really stepped up and become the guy in Philadelphia. You said everything about him is right. He moves the chains. I think he's underrated as far as chunk plays because this guy has a lot of explosive plays for Philadelphia down the field as well, especially in the seam. Really good pick. I'm going to take Darren Waller now with the New York Giants. Now, this is a guy that just a year or two ago probably would have been in the top three discussion. I think the slide has to end here for Darren Waller because injuries unfortunately have become part of the story for him. It's limited what he's been able to do on the field. But this is a guy when he's healthy and he's right and he's in an offense where they're they're featuring him, he's a guy that is easily one of the best tight ends in the league, great hands, athletic, high points to football. He can be a big-time weapon, and I'm actually really excited to see what he can do in New York and what they can do in this offense with Brian Dayball because I'm expecting a big bounce-back year for Darren Waller. His size... At six, he's a legit six seven player. Six six and excuse me, six six and a half player. We know everything that he's overcome in the NFL as a player in the NFL when he was on the Ravens to where he rehabilitated himself and then made himself at one point a top three tight end in this league. But unfortunately, over the past few years, due to coaching and injury, he's kind of fallen out of favor a little bit. However, to your point, going with Brian Dayball. Perhaps Daniel Jones, a lot of things that we saw from Dan, we may not see again, but this, again, safety valve for a player like Daniel Jones who's going to need a big target. This guy, if healthy, I mean, he may be able to play himself back up into top, perhaps top three or even four status in the league. Uh, For my last pick, I'm going to sound like a homer, and I'm okay with that, but it's going to be Kyle Pitts. We have to, this has to stop. Kyle Pitts, they have to figure out what to do with Kyle Pitts to get him the ball. You cannot be 6'7", run a 4'4", 8", and only have one touchdown 
excuse me, in your rookie year. Something is not right with the offense. Someone needs to talk to Arthur Smith, who I think is a capable offensive coordinator. But if you cannot scheme a 6'7 tight end that literally runs a full, that basically, for lack of a better term, in tight end speed, runs a 4-4 where he, you can't put a linebacker on him. You are going to need to put a safety on him or at, at times you're going to need to put a corner on him just simply because of that speed. And he's just a matchup nightmare. There is no way that Kyle Pitts should not be hauling in every single ball once they get into the red zone. I mean, this guy only has three touchdowns for his entire career. Although he was hurt, he did play 10 games, but his rookie year, he played all 17 games, had 1,000 yards receiving, and only had one touchdown. But something needs to change. You cannot have this specimen at tight end and not utilize him all the way through. Yeah, if I'm not mistaken, he broke the rookie receiving yards record for tight ends his rookie year, but they just couldn't figure out a way to utilize him in the red zone. And you're right, such a big strong, physical, fast athlete. I mean, you could easily make the case he's the most athletic tight end in the entire league. They've got to find a way to unlock his full potential this year. I'm with you. All right, the last tight end that's going to crack the top eight, another young guy on the list here, Pat Fryermuth, Pittsburgh Steelers tight end. This is a guy that really hit the ground running as a rookie. Year two, was even better. It became an even bigger part of this offense. He's got good hands. He's physical. He's a good route runner. A very complete tight end. For a young guy, he he really understands route concepts, how to shield defenders away from him, how to create space in critical situations. He's able to become a big target on third down, an above average pass blocker, a very complete young tight end, and a guy that I don't think we've seen his best football yet. Excited to see what he does this year. A player that I would mention, and I just want to give him a shout out, and he's not there because he doesn't have any production. I think we're going to see Dalton Kincaid do some special things this season, but I just want to mention his name. I know it's unfair to the uh, to the Njoku's, to the Dalton Schultz, and those who have been putting in work, you know, and I'll, and I'll actually give, even give a special shout out to Evan Ingram because I thought he had a nice bounce back year, but I do want to, I just want to mention Dalton Kincaid. He's not there now, but I think he is going to be a rising star by year two. He's going to be one of those players that we're talking about. All right. Hard to believe, but it's the last division of our NFL draft grades. We're wrapping it up today with the AFC South. Alex, why don't you kick this off? Yeah, we're going to kick this off with the uh, with the Jacksonville Jaguars. Looking at this draft, I like what Jacksonville did, but let's go let's go through it so to make sure that we're all on the same page and see if we all feel the same way. First round pick in number twenty eight, they drafted Antoine Harrison. Now, I initially had this player as a second round grade, but understanding that they lost Jawan Taylor to free agency to Kansas City, and with the looming suspension that came in the offseason of Cam Robinson kind of forced them to make this pick. They had to pick an offensive tackle here, which I'm not mad at because you have a player in Trevor Lawrence that you're going to be paying a crap load of money to. And if not next year, the, in the next two years, and you want to make sure that he's protected. So he'll be a day one starter. Their second round pick Brenton 
strange for out of out of Penn State. I think he's a solid tight end to bring up behind Ingram. He's a willing blocker, but has bad technique. And and I'm going to talk about that technique because I think it's important to what we talk about with their next pick. But I do believe that Brenton Strange is somebody while Evan Ingram who does tend to have some lingering uh, injury issues. Here's a player that you can train up, coach up, and have him ready to step in, or even that sometimes maybe play in that 11 personnel because with that third pick uh, at number 25, they picked Tank Bigsby out of Auburn. I love this player. I wish he was going to a different team where he could be a bell cow back, but going to a team where you have Travis Etienne and you have Tank Bigsby, he has a great body for RB at six feet, 210 pounds. He also can catch out of the backfield as well. So there's that dual threat that you have that Travis Etienne definitely has. And when Tank Bigsby's in the game, he can still catch out of the backfield. So there's going to be a lot of things that Doug Peterson can do. But I think what we're seeing here is the, as the copycat league that the NFL is, and we're seeing the Eagles effect taking hold. And this is the second two, and this is a two headed monster that spells trouble for the AFC South. In the fourth round, they drafted inside linebacker Ventrell Miller, very familiar with this player. Obviously, he's a Florida Gator. Um, he did take advantage of his fifth year eligibility, making a few flash plays. However, I would have rather them draft Tavius Robinson as an outside linebacker, because I don't know what the future of Josh Allen holds here. And that's what I'm looking at because he's going to be going into his fifth year. They're going to have to figure out what they're going to do with this player. If they're going to sign him, if they're not going to sign him, but however, Tavius Robinson's size, along with Trayvon Walker size, those two linebackers coming off the edge will be huge problems for defenses to handle. So I thought they maybe should have gone in that direction because I don't think Ventrell Miller is going to be a, true contributor. I think this is going to be more of a special teams player and a journeyman in the NFL. With their fourth, uh, excuse me, the second fourth round pick at number 28, Tyler Lacey, solid pick. He's going to fit into the rotation and, and the 3-4 defense. I like that pick. He'll be able to be trained up because they do have, they have three solid starters in front of him, but as a rotation player, perhaps he'll be able to step up and one of those players begin to move on. He'll be able to go back in. And I do want to mention what they did in terms of their fifth, their first pick in the fifth round, because I was mentioning that I wanted them to go after an outside linebacker. They did with their fifth round pick and Yasir Abdullah, perhaps he develops. I'm not sure, but in this round, I felt they should have gone defensive back. Specifically, we have Darius Rush there. You had Cameron Mitchell and you had Kai Blue Kelly there. They really needed defensive back help on that on this team in the defense. And I felt that they made a mistake by not going after that because they do have Tyson Campbell and they do have Darius Williams, but I felt that they really should have drafted a cornerback. My player would have been that round would have been Kai Blue Kelly, but there was also Darius Russ and Cameron Mitchell. Overall, I will give this grade a C plus only because on the back end, I just felt that I always do this. I'm going to do it again. Because of Tank, Tank Bigsby, I'm going to give them a B minus because I think what they're going to do on offense, if that offensive line can hold until Cam Robinson gets back by running the ball, they'll be able to close out some games. They'll be able to save Tra- uh, Trevor Lawrence's arm and they'll be able to eat some of the clock up. So I do like Harrison Strange and Tank Bigsby up front. And I do like T- Tyler Lacey that they got in the fourth round. So I'm going to give them a B minus for this draft. Alex, this is an interesting draft by the Jaguars. And I think sometimes when we see what teams do in the offseason, 
with the NFL draft and with free agency and what personnel moves they make, those moves can really leave clues as to what the team is looking to do in the upcoming season. And I think this draft really showed exactly what I expect this team to do, and that's become more physical in the running game. I'm with you. Tank Bigsby is their best pick in this draft. Third round pick, great value. He's going to be the perfect complement to Travis Etienne. He's going to be a short yardage guy, a goal line guy, a, a thumper. Really nice pick and a really good compliment, and it's going to help them get more physical in the running game. There's another player in this draft, though, that I don't think you mentioned here that I think really tells part of that story as well. Taking fullback Derek Parrish out of Houston in the seventh round. Fullback, as we know, is a position that's almost gone extinct in the NFL. There are some teams that utilize it, and the fact that they took a big physical fullback in this class and then a big physical running back like Tank Bigsby, I'm starting to read between the lines here, Alex. I think this team wants to become more physical between the tackles and run the ball more to help take some of that pressure off the passing game and make this a more balanced offense, and quite frankly, I love it. I think the first round pick to jump back real quick, I totally get it because with Cam Robinson getting suspended, Walker Little is a guy who's going to step in and he's going to take over the left tackle spot. I think he's going to actually become a really good left tackle. He's a guy that I was super high on in the draft a couple of years ago, a guy that I thought had sky high potential. And we're starting to see that now. I think that opens up the hole for Anton Harrison to start at right tackle, which I think he's suited to do. So I like that pick. I don't hate what they did here. I think they hit on some guys. It, it's not a flashy draft. It's not a draft that you're going to get super excited about, but I like the direction and the philosophy that I'm seeing from the Jaguars here. All right, let's jump to the Tennessee Titans. Now, their first round pick was 11th overall. They took Peter Skoronsky, the offensive tackle out of Northwestern. Alex, this guy is your number one offensive tackle in this class. He was my number two tackle, but either way, he's a stud. This guy is a big-time player, a plug-and-play starter day one. He was a three-year starter in the Big Ten at left tackle. High-level football IQ, great fundamentals, great technique, feet, hands. He's the whole package, complete player, run and pass block. The only knock on this guy is his build because I think when you look at his size and his short arms for the position, I think many people actually are projecting him to be a guard in the NFL. Now, the Titans can try him at offensive tackle, and if he can't cut it on the outside, then they'll probably just kick him inside, and he'll become one of the best guards in the league. So it's really a can't-lose situation because the guy can play, and whether it's at guard or tackle, he's going to be an impact player. So I like that pick either way by the Titans. Now, in the second round, the 33rd pick, they drafted Will Levis, the quarterback out of Kentucky. Now, we spent a lot of time talking about him, breaking down his game on pre-draft episodes. So once again, guys, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time breaking down his game here. But the bottom line is he's a boomer bust prospect, no matter how you feel about him. Some people love him. Some people hate him. I get that. But in the second round, I think it's great value because if he develops he actually could become a special player because he has the physical tools that you're looking for. So now when he slid to the second round, 
I saw the Rams near the top of the second round and thought that it'd be a perfect landing spot for him. I talked about this on an earlier episode. With Stafford in front of him, I think it would have been the perfect spot for him to develop. He could have played in that McVay, Shanahan, LaFleur style of system, a very similar offense that he played at Kentucky. I just thought that was such an ideal landing spot. But unfortunately, he goes to the Titans, and I don't think it's a great situation for him. He's probably going to be forced to start way before he's ready. And it's a team that's in a bad situation and really a team that's one bad season away from probably hitting the panic button and going into a full rebuild. So not the most fortunate landing spot for Will Levis, but like I said, a guy that has the tools, can he put it all together? That's what we're going to find out here in the years to come. In the third round, they took running back Tyje Spears out of Tulane. Really talented running back, a guy that I don't think we had a lot of time to cover in the pre-draft stuff. Didn't play at a Power 5 school, I should say, but he dominated that Tulane. Now, that's what I expect to see from smaller school guys who get drafted in the NFL. If you're not playing against the big boys, you better be dominating at the level that you're at. That's exactly what this guy did. He averaged seven yards per carry, 21 total touchdowns. He's a patient runner. He waits for his blocks to to develop. He has nice agility, especially once he gets in the open field. Now, his injury history is a big red flag, and I think he needs to improve as a pass catcher. But in the third round, I think it's a solid pick. There's a lot to like about Tajay Spears. Now, I had circled wide receiver as the biggest need for this team going into this draft. They took a flyer on Colton Dowell, wide receiver out of UT Martin in the seventh. Okay, that makes sense, I guess. I mean, it's hard to find a lot of tape on him. He went to a small school. Maybe he pans out. I I don't know. I mean, in the seventh round, I don't know a whole lot about this guy. But what I don't understand, Alex, is just not taking a wide receiver with one of those first three picks. That, In my opinion, that had to be their biggest need. So I'm not a huge fan of waiting all the way to the seventh round to take a receiver. Like I said, maybe this guy pans out, but I would have addressed the position earlier. Now, Skronsky might just be the best overall offensive lineman in this entire class. Levis in the second round, like I said, regardless of how people feel about it, I think in the second round it's good value, especially for a guy that most people had going in the top 10. Spears is solid, but overall this is a B minus grade. It's not a great class. I think Skronsky definitely saves it from being a C. I, I almost consider it a CC plus, but I, I think Skronsky is a good enough player. Like I said, maybe the best alignment in this whole class. So I think that kind of saves this, this class for them as being a decent class, but didn't love what the Titans did here. The Peter Skronsky, you're spot on. We, we talked about it. Short arms, we thought he was the, probably the best offensive lineman, but those short arms would really stop him from being the left tackle that you'll want to take in that position. So I agree. With, I'm assuming they will more than likely try him out, and then if not, kick him inside if it's not working out. Now, with the Will Levis pick, I just don't understand there. You drafted Malik Willis. I know we only saw Malik Willis just for the one game against Kansas City where he could he barely could complete a pass. But I, I just thought that you didn't need to – Take another flyer here, and it's specifically on this quarterback. Again, I think there were better quarterbacks to take later on, to take chances on, whereas to what we've always said, Will Levis is a boom or bust quarterback. There isn't, I don't believe he'll develop into a 
good quarterback or even a solid quarterback. I think this is going to be a career backup, though we're going to see if it pans out. But I think this is going to be a career backup. Sorry, Will, that's just how I feel. Perhaps if you went into this year and next year is supposed to be an even better quarterback class and got your quarterback there, I felt that maybe you could have gone there. Or to your point, Brad, you could have gone and gotten yourself a wide receiver as there were several still on the board. Tajay Spears, you're right. That is a player that we didn't talk about. But when you do and you look at the production, if we even simply go to the production that he had against that incredible USC game where they won it in the Cotton Bowl, 46 to 45, I believe he ran for like 200 and something yards and five touchdowns. If I could be off a touchdown or so, but he basically had Madden style numbers in that in that game. So he did definitely earn that spot. And we all know they've been looking for a solid, well, rather they did find a solid backup. However, they let him go, Dante Foreman, to another team. But they had Tajay Spears here. You finally have somebody, excuse me, behind Derrick Henry to back him up. And this is a change of pace back as well. He can catch out of the backfield. And again, when you go through Josh Wiley, Jalen Duncan, Cotton Doyle, I mean, I don't think there's a lot that we need to talk about there. I thought they missed a lot. And for me, I'm going to give them a D plus. I just didn't like anything that they did. I really did not like the Will Levis pick. I just thought they could have gone in a different direction. The Houston Texans. I mean, the Houston Texans made the draft exciting. I mean, we kind of knew the pecking order of the first two picks were going to be both quarterbacks with the second one being taken in CJ Stroud. I mean, obviously he was the obvious pick here. And as Brad alluded to earlier, if you want to check out our quarterback rankings, you can check out uh, what the first the first part where we really kind of broke down how we felt about each quarterback. I do have a thing about Ohio State quarterbacks. If you want to hear about it, go back and listen to the to that draft. Now, with their next pick in the first round, because they did have, they originally always had two picks, but they moved from 12 up to three. They gave a 12, 33, plus a first and a third to the Cardinals in 2024. In a Madden-style move, they picked Will Anderson out of Alabama. I like the player and they must love the player to make this type of move as I view this as a franchise-changing player for them on defense if you're going to make that type of trade. Now, Will Anderson, they have him currently slotted as defensive end. We all know D'Amico Ryans is going to run a 3-4, so he is going to be an outside linebacker. And again, I'm just stating that they must love this player and think he's going to be a game-changer and quite possibly can be with that current defensive backfield they have back there that are going to keep receivers tied up a little bit longer, that one or two second longer can be the difference between Will Anderson getting a pressure and a sack. With their second round pick, uh, number 31, they got Drew Scruggs center. I thought, I think the player has a great first punch. He's kind of slow in pull situations, meaning he's kind of slow out of, the block, out of the block. And he can struggle with defensive fronts that use a lot of stunts. But again, you're trying to build an offensive line. We know what they have at running back there to try and build on what they had with Damian Pierce last year. So try and solidify that line. So I did like that pick as well. Now, with their third-round pick, the sixth pick in the third round, they drafted Tank Dell, a 5'8 quick-twitch slot receiver that had a lot of production and a player the Texans got to see a lot of since he played at the University of Houston. However, I want to stress, however, their current starting wide receivers are Nico Collins, John Michi, and Robert Woods, who's currently slated to be at the slot. And I felt that even though we, we didn't get to see John and Michi because of injury last year, and Nico Collins is a, sorry, he's a below average starter in this league. I felt with Jalen Hyatt, Cedric Tillman, true as true X receivers, 
they have and the, the, with the unknowns they have with Nico Collins and John Amici, even though I think John Amici, excuse me, John Amici can be possibly be a player. I felt they could have gone and got a true X receiver, specifically Cedric Tillman at 6'3". With their fourth round pick, Dylan Horton out of TCU. He will be, you know, he was he was a defensive lineman in college at in TCU, but he'll be a linebacker and the three-four scheme and have a chance probably to perhaps steal some snaps away if Chase Winovich does not get back to form. He'll be a pure pass a rushing down player, similar to a player, if you recall, in Alden Smith. Then in the fifth round, I just want to mention this player, Henry Tuto, or Toto, if I'm saying that correctly. I'm looking at this player. I'm looking at a lot of his traits. I'm seeing what he is. He is a bit slow out of the gate. He ran a 4-6-2-40. However, there was a player that the 49ers drafted back in the fifth round that kind of, I think maybe perhaps this might have been the thought process in Drake Greenlaw, who was a fifth round pick. It was somebody that at that point in time, D'Amico Ryans was the linebacker coach where Robert Seller was the defensive coordinator, but he was the linebacker coach that was coaching that guy. And perhaps he saw some of the traits that he saw in Dre Greenlaw and that he saw in Henry Tutu, which is why he ended up drafting him in the fifth round. And then if we go through the re- if we go through the rest of the draft, they got uh, Jarrett Patterson, a center out of Notre Dame, solid player, tough nose. Um, and Xavier Hutchison, a wide receiver out, a wide receiver out of Iowa State, who fits the prototype. But again, in the sixth round, I'm not too sure what we're what we're going to get. Then, then there was Brandon Hill out of Pittsburgh. But overall, I give this draft a B plus because I like what I saw. Obviously, C.J. Stroud, they got their guy, and then going up and getting Will Anderson, he does fit that three four linebacker position beautifully for D'Amico Rises. And if it plays out again, we're just looking at everything on paper, Juice Scruggs to help fortify that line. I had some questions about Tank Dell, but I do believe that he is a player. It's just that I probably would have gone for a true X receiver with those back-to-back picks. That's unprecedented. As I said, that's Madden. Like it'll be interesting to see how that plays out because they gave up a lot. They gave up a lot of draft picks to move up in a team that's Still needs to build. They gave up a lot of draft capital to move up to that third spot. So Will Anderson has to be the guy. Yeah, you hit it on the head right there with Will Anderson. And I talked about this on our NFL draft takeaways episode that we did right after the draft. I was pretty critical of the move to move up to get Will Anderson. And don't get me wrong. I like Will Anderson. I think he's a good player. But for a team that has a lot of holes, I hated the move trading up for a guy like this. This is not a Nick Bosa, Miles Garrett type of player here Uh, those are the kind of players you move up for you you move up for an elite level pass rushing prospect i don't see that at all in will anderson i think he's a very solid prospect a good player but if i was them i would have sat back and gone in a different direction there so i i wasn't a fan of that move and because of that i'm a little bit lower on this class cj stroud no brainer and look like i said if will anderson pans out and he becomes a player that clearly they think he's gonna be then that'll that will totally make my take irrelevant but overall i thought it was a good class maybe not a great class juice scruggs solid player out of penn state when you get a young quarterback, you got to protect him. I like the move to get a guy like that. And actually, to double down on the interior of that offensive line, in the sixth round, Jarrett Patterson, another center who is probably going to move into the guard position because obviously you can't play two centers. So 
adding some more depth there to that offensive interior, I thought was a great move. And Jarrett Patterson is a guy who I think is an absolute steal in the sixth round. I thought this was a guy that was going to be a third or fourth round pick. For him to be available there, I thought was just tremendous value. This guy did not allow a single sack in his three years starting at Notre Dame. That's pretty impressive stuff for a guy who just went in the sixth round. So I, I love that pick. Another guy I wanted to highlight here, Nathaniel Dell, wide receiver out of Houston. He's undersized. I get that. But he's an explosive player, and he was really productive. They needed to add some juice to the wide receiver room. I think he gives them a nice slot receiver option there. But all in all, I'm not thrilled with this class. I think it was solid. But like I said, I'm really not of a fan, a big fan of the move up to get Will Anderson. I'm gonna ding him for that and go probably a C plus range. I don't I think that drops him out of the B range for me, but but definitely not a bad class. And it's really gonna hinge, let's face it, on those first two picks. If CJ Stroud and Will Anderson become high level players in this league, none of these other picks are really gonna matter at that point. All right, the final draft grade here. Let's take a look at the class for the Indianapolis Colts. Anthony Richardson at pick number four. We've talked a lot about Anthony Richardson. He's a developmental prospect. He has all the physical tools, the mental makeup. He's got everything you would want in a quarterback as far as the traits to become possibly a great quarterback in this league. Now, once again, if you want a more comprehensive breakdown of this guy's game, Alex and I broke it down on earlier episodes. So go listen to the pre-draft episodes once again. We've talked a lot about this guy, but he is going to have some serious growing pains in the NFL because his lack of experience at Florida and starting in college just doesn't have him well-prepared to be a starter in the NFL. But with that being said, sky-high potential. I mean, big, big-time potential. If they can find a way to put it, if he can find a way to put it all together, he could be really, really good. Now, in the second round, 44th pick, they took Julius Brintz, the cornerback out of Kansas State. Now, he's a zone cover corner, really tall and long at 6'3", 200 pounds. I mean, this guy's got some big size for a corner. He's disruptive. He's got big-time leaping ability with over a 41-inch vertical at the combine. But here's the thing. He only ran a 4.53 40-yard dash. He just does not have that top-end speed that you're looking for, and he doesn't have the speed or the agility and the skills to really cover man-to-man in the NFL. I think that's a huge liability in his game. He's aggressive in run support. He's a physical player. I like that about him. But, Alex, this felt like a reach. I mean, this just did not feel like a guy that should be taken in the second round. Cam Smith, Tyreek Stevenson, and DJ Turner all went later in round two. And those are guys that I all had higher grades on. All three of those guys, I had higher grades than Brents. Now, here's what's interesting about Brents, though. I'm wondering if the Colts see him as a safety. Because with his size and ability, I see a guy that might be better suited to play strong safety in the NFL. Maybe that's what they envisioned for him. But if they're thinking they got a top-end corner I think this could be a huge miss because, like I said, those other three guys I mentioned, I really like all three of those players. I'm not very high on him. So this is a player that's going to be really interesting to see how his uh, career kind of plays out here, his rookie year and the early part of his career. 
In the third round, they took Josh Downs, wide receiver out of North Carolina. Awesome footwork, instincts, knows how to get open in space. Big-time production over the last two seasons. Great route runner, explosive, good hands. Now, he's undersized, but he is a natural slot wide receiver. He can make the tough catches over the middle, especially for a guy his size. Tough kid that can really hang on to the ball, even in traffic. I had a second-round grade on downs. So in the third round, I think this is a really nice value pick. In the fourth round, they took Blake Freeland, the offensive tackle out of BYU. Massive size. This guy is 6'8", over 300 pounds, long arms, big hands, four-year starter, which I love. Really fluid athlete for his size. I mean, he got, This is a guy who mirrors pass rushers well, but I do think he could struggle with some of the bendier, hyper-athletic edge guys in the NFL just because he's so tall. At a certain point, height can actually be a, a negative thing, and he might have some trouble with some of those guys coming around the edge. He needs to continue to hit the weight room as well, but he is a guy who's gotten stronger every year he was at BYU. So with an NFL weight room and regiment, I expect the same thing there. He's going to have to beef up a little bit. But a third-round grade is what I had on this guy. So once again, in the fourth round, I think it's nice value. This was my favorite pick of the draft for the Colts, though. Fourth-round pick, Addy Tomiwa, Addy Barre, defensive end out of Northwestern. This may be, this may be just the best fourth-round pick in this entire 2023 class. Alex, I had a second-round grade on this guy. He was a guy that I thought legitimately maybe could crack the first round. I had, a, like I said, a second-round grade. I thought maybe if a team fell in love with him, he could go late first. That's how good of a player I think this guy is. I was absolutely shocked that he went in the fourth round. He was a senior bowl standout, powerful pass rusher. He converts speed to power, explosive off the ball. This guy ran a 4.49 40-yard dash. A defensive lineman with that kind of speed and power, it's pretty rare productive player last year, five sacks, 38 total tackles, nine tackles for a loss, two forced fumbles in 12 games. Some people are critical because they say he's a bit of a tweener. I don't care. I love this kid's tape, love this pick. And in the fourth round, this is just unbelievable value. Darius Rush, cornerback out of South, South Carolina, and Daniel Scott, the safety out of California. I think those are, these are guys that are both good secondary players in the fifth round. The Colts did a great job in this draft of just finding value multiple times throughout this draft. I think the only exception to that is Julius Brintz, I thought was a big reach like I talked about, but they did need help at safety. So once again, that was a position that I circled as a need for them going into this draft. Maybe that's what they see here, and that makes that pick a lot better if that's the case. But if that is the case, then it's hard to argue with this draft not being a home run. I mean, Richardson is really going to be the pick that really matters. We know that. Like I just spoke a minute ago about C.J. Stroud. Obviously, that pick is really going to decide how we view this class five, seven years from now. But when it's all said and done, he's a boomer bust guy. But as far as on paper, I love what they did. It's an A minus for me. Yeah, right. I, I, I'm probably stuck on the same player as you. I mean, we like you said, we talked about Anthony Richardson enough, so we know a lot hinges on his success. 
Um, but the Julian Brent's pick, I mean, they've gone years having a second receiver as their number one receiver. And I thought that they had an opportunity to do some things there for their, for their young, for their young quarterback. Again, I thought they could have gone tight end there or maybe traded back a little bit. I just felt that they needed more weapons. I mean, right now you have Alec Pierce and Michael Pittman, and some of those guys did show some, excuse me, did show some promise, but I just think with this type of quarterback, you need to go get a guy because that is what he needs. A couple more weapons, solid weapons out there so you can really spread out because he's not going to be able to get on the center right away. He's going to have some issues, so I think you're going to be more a lot in, you know, three and four wide receiver sets to see his production go up and as you as you get him caught up. So I do that's the, really the one pick that I want to ding them on. But Josh Downs, obviously, Blake Freeland, I like that pick a lot. Again, to your point with his height, the I'm not even going to attempt to say his name, but Adadamaway, I felt like I got a lot of P.J. Hall from him, which is this tweener, but he's the defensive tackle. But what is he exactly and does it work in the league? So it'll be interesting to see how at, you know, he's 6'2", 282 to the point that Brad was calling him a tweener. It's really the height that is the that becomes the issue there with him. But we'll be able to see how that works in the NFL and if he's able to translate what we saw him do at Northwestern, if that translates over to the NFL. However, he's going to a very, a very solid line with Grover Stewart, DeForest Buckner, and, and Quiddy Pay already there. So perhaps there's a lot of one-on-one matchups that he can perhaps win. I spoke about Darius Rush earlier. No need to talk about that again, but Daniel Scott, William Mallory, and, and there were a couple of late round picks that looked like they perhaps can make the team and special teams and maybe be coached up over the years. But I'm gonna give them I'm gonna give them a B plus just simply because the Julian Brents, the well, the unknown on how I ranked Anthony Richardson and then Julian Brents and back to back picks was just too much of a gamble for me, specifically at that second round. Of course, you're gonna take the quarterback up early, but so that's fine. But that second round pick really kind of gives me, takes me back a bit. And of course I can be wrong, but I'm just a little bit, I'm looking at that and I'm like, ah, I don't, I don't like that. I, there's something about that. I don't like, but I'm going to go ahead and give them a B plus. Yeah, Alex, it is going to be so fascinating to see how all these players pan out. It's been so much fun doing all these draft grades, but time to shift gears next week. We're going to have a whole bunch of new stuff to talk about. And like I said, we've also got a great guest coming on as well. But that is going to do it for today's episode. Hope you enjoyed it, PGF Nation. Before we go, be sure to subscribe to our free newsletter at pintglassfootball.com. You can get exclusive content directly to your inbox. I want to give a shout out as well to our friends at the Tailgate Foodie for sponsoring today's episode. Check them out at tailgatefoodie.com. I'm Brad Fowler. He's Alex Higdon. This is Pint Glass Football, and we'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening to the Pint Glass Football Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and follow us on Twitter at PGF Podcast.